Let's pray together. Gracious God, uh, we just thank you for what we have heard from Brett and uh, for his ministry. We thank you for him, Lord, and how he's been part of this congregation for so long. And our prayer is that you would continue with him and that you would bless what he does. Uh, Lord, such an important task that he has as he gives leadership to the uh, many people who work for Youth for Christ in this country and builds into their lives, enabling them to serve effectively. Uh, Lord, we thank you that they've been able to use a new medium um, in order to uh, reach even more people and uh, to facilitate ministry in, in new ways. So continue to give them that capacity, Lord, to, to reach out in, in new and creative ways and, and to impact the lives of many, many people, and especially the young people that they are so concerned for. Bless him, Lord, and, and bless the ministry of Youth for Christ across this nation. And Lord, we think of Joanne also and all the frontline workers who are giving so much right now, uh, trying so hard, working so diligently, and being faithful to their calling. And we would pray that you would enable them, strengthen them, protect them, keep them safe and well. And Lord, just give them the, the, the energy to carry on and the courage to face the challenges that they have. So thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for Joanne. Bless her in particular and the others in our church who are on the front line. Cause them to know your presence, your grace, your peace, and your strength, Lord. Now, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us again from your word. We love this book, Lord. We recognize that it's our authority to live by. You speak through it to us, and it's for us to hear it and to understand it and then live in obedience to you um, because of it. So, uh, Lord, strengthen us now, instruct us. Allow us to know your mind and your will for our lives and for our relationships. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was listening to uh, CBC Radio this week. It was actually in the middle of the night. I woke up, couldn't get back to sleep, uh, put my earphones in and, and decided to listen to, to the news. Often makes me go back to sleep when I can't sleep. And uh, I heard in the middle of the night that because of COVID-19, during this season of COVID-19, the demand for couples counseling has risen pretty dramatically. And, and what we're gathering from that what seems to be pretty obvious from that is that spending so much time together uh, makes things maybe a little more difficult for couples and lots of them are reaching out right, right now to get some help i also understand that tragically spousal abru abuse is, is increasing um, and you know the intensity of relationships because of being together so much is obviously being demonstrated and 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 sometimes with pretty negative consequences for people who are involved. And I thought of the couples of IPC. I thought of you. And I'm wondering how you're doing today and how your relationships are as husbands and wives. And I'm wondering, I guess I'm hoping that this series that we're preaching now on family living in the kingdom of God is truly uh, of God's timing and can be particularly helpful to you. My encouragement to you as we continue to go through this series is to listen for the voice of God, listen for his wisdom, listen for his, for, for his instruction, and take to heart what God says. As I speak, listen for that still, small voice and apply these truths, these kingdom principles to your lives and to your relationships, and you will see good things happen. I can guarantee that to you. So that's a strong invitation, an encouragement, an exhortation to take to heart the word of God 
and uh, to apply it to your lives. Our series is called Jesus, You've Got to Be Kidding Me. It's a look at some biblical teaching that really pushes us beyond where we normally live, if you would, what is normal to us. And this happens when we're willing to seriously consider Scripture, to take it to heart, as I've suggested, and to actually apply it to our lives. Last week, we began in Ephesians 5, looking at the husband-wife relationship. Uh, Ephesians 5.21 said, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to, to communicate a principle of the kingdom. And that king principle simply is that everybody is to submit to everybody else. It's the way of the kingdom because it's the way of the king, I said. And I really hope that that's made a difference in your relationships this past week. Take a minute, think about it. Simply words, or is it the word of God having impact, penetrating minds and hearts and changing the way people relate to one another in love? Well, we looked at the husband last week and how he was supposed to submit by giving his entire life, submitting his interests and his desires for the sake of his wife, even to the point of death, as Jesus died on the cross. This week, we're going to look at the wife's role and what Scripture calls uh, women too in married relationships. So I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 5, and it's going to be 22 to 24. It says here, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now obviously what this has for is the meaning that's caught up in these verses is directly tied to the meaning of the word submit. So I went to my dictionaries and sources to see what the Greek word actually behind uh, this text uh, actually means. And the definition that I discovered was that to submit means to withdraw, to retire, or to yield. It's the idea of a wife, um, if you would, stepping back from what she wants or what she desires in order to allow her to love her husband by giving him what he wants as opposed to what she wants. You know, it's the, it's the opposite of demanding her way. It's the, it's the opposite of getting what she needs and getting her desires and needs met. It's the opposite of her living for herself that's being described here. And I want to recognize that Submitting, whether it's husband to wife or wife to husband or otherwise, is often not easy. It's often, frankly, quite difficult. It's a challenge. And I think the reason for that is because of human nature. Submitting doesn't come naturally to human beings in the state that we find ourselves. What's more typical of human nature is a self-orientation, an inclination to prioritize number one. To say, hey, this is where I'm at, and this is what I want, and this is what I desire, and, and, and hope to get that. Hope to take hold of that and, and embrace it and experience it. And I want to go to Genesis chapter 2 to take a look at this discussion about where we're at and who we are and what we're like. In Genesis chapter 2, it's before the fall. It's before sin entered into the world. What's described there is, is uh, a reality where Adam and Eve... Essentially, to use the terms of this series, they're living in the kingdom. They're living with God, an intimate relationship with God. God rules and reigns 
in that context. In that context. They're in loving relationship with God. They're in a loving relationship with one another. They're in a harmonious relationship with God. And they are in a harmonious relationship with, with one another too. Their marriage is great uh, as they loved one another in that, in that time. There was no need for couples counseling then because there, were, there was no self-centered living. There was no human nature that had fallen. The idea of, of demanding to get what I want as opposed to what you want wasn't an experience that people had in that day. But of course, Genesis 3 follows, follows after Genesis chapter 2. And sin enters into the world. And I want to tell you, their marriage relationship changed. Struggle and difficulty uh, became part of it because Adam and Eve had changed. And we see the effects of, of that change in, in what's called in the text the curse. Uh, and this is a, a, a description of life after the fall. Uh, when, when, when God comes along and he's not being proscriptive, he's not saying this is what I'm going to do to you per se, he's saying this is a de description, it's descriptive of what life is now going to be like because sin is part of your experience, it's part of this world. And I want to focus in just on one of the statements that God makes. He speaks first to the serpent and then he speaks to Eve and then he speaks to Adam. And in the latter part of verse 16 in chapter 3, God says this to Eve. He says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. His desire, you, um, sorry, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, uh, that's not kingdom living. Just think about that thought that the husband's going to rule over the wife. That's, that's not the way of God. That's, that's the idea of a, of a husband dominating and controlling in order to get his way. That's self-focused living. Uh, uh, the, the instruction that is given to Eve is an interesting one. It says, your desire will be for your husband. And it's a curious statement to scholars. Um, they debate what it actually means. To my knowledge, where that has gone is that many scholars now believe because of the context that it is the counterpoint to what God describes, what the, describes the husband doing. He will rule over you. Your desire will be to rule over him. To, to get what you want out of the relationship. To, to control for your own sake. To advocate and demand the things that you want out of life and out of this relationship. And the scenario that's described is two people essentially seeking to rule over one another. Um, demanding to get their own way, expecting the other to serve them rather than them being the servant. Self-centered living. And when you find yourself in this situation, whether it was Adam and Eve or whether it happens now, you're going to find struggle and heartache and difficulty in relationship. It's not going to go well. That's just the nature of, uh, of, of a marriage which is dominated by human nature unaltered by the gospel and, and by the grace of God. Well, into that reality, Paul writes to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago, into that reality which still exists today because we still live with the same human nature, Paul writes to us. And his instruction to husbands, as we found out last week, is love your wives by submitting to them. And his instruction to the wives explicitly is submit to your husbands. Wives, withdraw your demand. 
yield your desire uh, to those of your husbands so that he can have what he wants. Choose the way of selflessness, selfless love, so that he might be blessed. And they even right there, some women might stand back and say, Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> As he, by his spirit, speaks through the Apostle Paul. You've got to be kidding me. To live for my husband and not for myself, to not really prioritize my own interests, my own desires, my own wants. That's what the text is saying. Some people might be able to say, okay, I'm fine with that, but what about what comes next? This idea in verse 523 where it says that the husband is the head of the wife. Um, doesn't that suggest that he's in charge, that he's the leader? Uh, that he is the one who gets his own way regardless? That he is the one who rules over the wife? Well, the key to understanding any text of Scripture is understanding, of course, not only the context, but the meaning of the words that are involved. In 21st century North American Canada, we hear that the husband is the head of the wife, and what we immediately assume is what is, what is meant in that instance is that he is the boss, that he is the one who can rule over, that he is the one who, who gets to decide things and so on and so forth. But I want us to think about the word head and what it means, because even in English, there are different meanings that we give to that word. Like the head of an axe. If you were to apply that to this context, this sentence, what would that mean? The head of a river, you know, where the, the place where a river begins and flows from. The head of a corporation. That's the rule, the, the, the boss, the one who's in charge. You know, the, the, the head of the government, the prime minister. He's the one with power. And we all need to uh, submit to that and, and accept that. What, what does this word mean? Well, let me tell you, there were two words in Greek that Paul could have used and are used in the New Testament in order to uh, communicate the idea of head, headship, if you would. One of them is explicitly and clearly referencing, referencing this idea of um, leadership, of, of being in charge, of having authority, being the boss. Well, what I need to tell you is that word is not used in this text. And you would think if Paul wanted to communicate that very thing, that's the word he would have used. But he did not. He used a different word, which is a word that is used when people might talk in the New Testament or otherwise about the head of a river. The beginning of a river. Its source, mostly. So, if you apply that teaching to this text, it's, it's saying, so husbands, you're to be the source of your wife. Source of what? Source of life. Source of love. Source of enjoyment and, and joy. The source of, 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 of encouragement for your wife. Let it flow from you into her life that she might be loved, and served, and cared for. It's interesting when uh, the Bible for example, when John the Baptist is beheaded, there's the word head again. And his head was brought to Herod on a platter. Remember that story? It's the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 5. And the basic point with that is that without a head, there is no life. <laughs> there's a lifelessness. When the head's attached to the body, there is life. You see the point? Husbands, be the source of life for your wives.
not the authority, not the boss, not the one who rules over and dominates. We've dealt with that in Genesis chapter 3. It's not what God wants. And it says, you know, to, to uh, allow the husband to, to, to be the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Well, what does that mean? How do we submit to Christ who is our head? Well, don't we as a church give our lives to Jesus? Don't we as a church yield our will to his in obedience and, and, and by faith? Don't we as, as the church live our lives for Jesus' sake and do all of that out of love for him? Willingly? Gladly? So in the end, really what I want to suggest to you is this text, interestingly, calls for what's called mutual submission. Two people submitting to the other. The husband to the wife, the wife to the husband, submitting to one another, one another out of reverence for Christ, as verse 21 says. To use the words of Philippians 2 again, and, and we referenced this last week, and if you need to go back to get some background in this, please do. But two people making themselves nothing, considering the other is more valuable than, them, than themselves so that they might serve the need and the interest and the desire of the other. Living their lives not for their own sake, but for the sake of the one they love. Now, some people might stop at that point and say, whoa, 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 Chris, just wait a minute. Think about this. <laughs> if two people are, are submitting themselves for the interest of the other, how would a decision ever get made about the things that are being discussed and, and about a couple deciding together how to move forward in so many ways? Well, I would suggest that the only people who might struggle with, with that question are those people who are used to living in the other fashion. Two people advocating for their own position. Two people intransigent and fighting for what they want. Two people demanding that the other yield to them so that they might prevail and get their way. I want to suggest to you today that's not really a very godly way to make a decision. Because in the end, you have one person winning and another losing. And you have neither of them really loving, as Christ calls us to love. I would even suggest that compromise is not the most godly way to make decisions as a couple. You know, well, let's find something in the middle that might somewhat satisfy both of us. No. There's another way. It's the way of mutual submission. And it's one person saying something like this. Listen, honey, I really want you to have what you want. I mean, I really love you, and I, and I honestly and sincerely would prefer you to get what you desire rather than me getting what I desire. And then the other couple, the other person in the couple turning that around and saying, no, 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 no. Because I really love you, I want you to have what you want. That's what's in my heart. That's my sincere desire. Let's, let's, let's make that decision. And I want to suggest to you when a couple gets to that point, when two people, husband and wife, get that, that much like Jesus, who laid down his life for us, that they find themselves in a position where both of them can step back from wanting what they want, obviously, 
And they can ask an incredibly important question in the moment. And the question simply is, it's not even so much what either of us wants. What does God want? Right now, considering what we're discussing, the, considering the issue that is before us. What does God want? And I want to tell you, my friends, that's the most important question that a couple can ask when it's trying to make a decision about moving forward as, as a couple or as a family. What does God want? And, and, and what are the implications for people beyond ourselves in the decision that we're making? Like, let's step back and think about it and, and pray and ask the Lord into the decision and then embrace what, what he leads us to embrace. Let me illustrate this from my own life again. Um, you know, I've turned 60. I'm pushing 61 right now. And uh, my hair is going a little gray. The longer my hair becomes, the more gray it looks. I know that's the way it works. Um, but at some point, I'm going to have to retire. At some point, I'm going to have to, you know, hang it up and say, hey, it's time to, to do something different. And that's, that's years away, but, but it's, it's there, you know. It's something that Heather and I have begun to think about. Like, what will that look like and how do we prepare for that? Well, I have a desire... It's preliminary, but it's there for what life would be in those years. And I would love, in the winters, to go to Florida. I would love to never experience another Canadian winter again. I don't know how long this could be, by the way, and how many weeks or months it might be. That's all to be determined if, if we do it. But I would love to never see snow again. I mean it. I don't like the winter anymore. I'm done with it. It's too cold and... You know, you'd have to drive in the, in the snow and in the muck and you have to put on coats and all of that. But man, if we could go to Florida and I could find some place for weeks or a, or a month or two or something and place with a pool and near a beach, you know, I'd be, in, I'd be in Chris Heaven. I'd love it. You know, the warm water and the sunshine, that would make me a very happy man. Now, Heather, on the other hand, hears about that sort of idea going to Florida and kind of plunking yourself down in one spot and just enjoying sunshine. And she just thinks that's the most boring thing that two human beings could do. And added to that, she doesn't like the idea of being far away from family. Heather would prefer to see the world. She would prefer to, to take off, you know, maybe once a year and, and travel. Like we traveled to Italy last fall. She loved that and, you know, you know, enjoy the culture and enjoy the food and see new things and beautiful vistas. Um, that would be her heart's desire. That's what she would love. Live the adventure of seeing new things. So you got boring and adventurous. Maybe that's the way it is. I don't know. But what would it mean for us to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus? What would it mean for us to be in relationship, both of us acting like Christ in submission. Well, it would essentially require me to say something like this. All right, I can live with snow, you know. Buy me a snowblower and sharpen my skates. I'm, I'm in. And once a year or whatever, we'll take off and we'll see a different part of the world. And it would take Heather to say, you know, I guess Florida wouldn't be all that bad. I guess I could watch the travel shows on television. Um, it would be both of us saying, we're not going to take 
a position to defend and to fight for. We're not going to dig in our heels and demand that we get what we want. That would not be part of the discussion. It wouldn't be part of our hearts. It wouldn't be how we think. It would be us coming to the other out of love, being literally willing to sacrifice what we want so that the other would get what they want. It would be us then also coming before God and saying, Lord, maybe it's not what Chris or what Heather wants. What is it that you want? And for all I know or for all we know, God might not want us in Florida or traveling. He might have some other idea completely for us when that day comes. You see the point? Letting go, giving up the fight for self and for self-interest, being willing to do what the other wants, like really willing, desiring it because you love that person as much as you do. I want to tell you, my friends, you get yourselves to that place. <laughs> if we can get ourselves to that place, we will discover marriage in the way God intended it to be lived. And we will discover a marriage that is rich and loving and deep and good. Now, while the example I gave you is one of those big life decision questions, what I've realized is, as I've thought this through and prepared this sermon for this week is, you know what really counts is not so much the big questions, because they don't happen all that often. What really counts are the little questions that we have to face every day. This week I went to Heather and I said, listen, I have to find some examples, some illustrations of what it means for wives to submit to their husbands. And I got to tell you, I'm having a little trouble getting my head around that because I don't look at this relationship from that perspective. Can you tell me, from your perspective, what does it mean for you to submit to your husband? Heather took a little while to think about that and came back to me a day or two later and she said this. Um, remember the other night we had roast beef for dinner? I said, yeah, oh, that was great. I love roast beef. And potatoes we had, and we had vegetables. Kind of a traditional British meal, you know? That's the kind of food I like. Uh, you know, not all this quinoa, etc., etc. <laughs> but anyway, Heather said to me, you remember we had roast beef? She said, if it was left up to me, we would never eat roast beef in this house. It's not what I like. It's not, it's not what I prefer and honestly, I, I, I wouldn't have prepared the meal and, and, and served it that night in the way that it came to you. But I did it out of love. I considered your interest because I know you love roast beef and potatoes and vegetables. And that was the meal we ate. And in that moment, she said, I was submitting to you and to your interests and your desires and your wants versus my own. Doesn't that say it? What about when restaurants open up and you're deciding what restaurant to go to have dinner at? Oh, are you going to fight for your preferences? Are you going to choose what the other person might want? Like, really choose it because you know that would bless them. What about where to go on vacation, assuming we can go on vacations this summer or otherwise? Um, you know, when you go to buy a vehicle, Etc., 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 etc. How do we live in relationship with one another? How do we function? How do we engage for our own sake? Getting, a, getting out of life what we want? Pushing the issue in order to 
be satisfied ourselves, love ourselves, or in a very real way say, hey, honestly, honey, I love you and I want what you want. Let me, let me sacrifice what my desire is so that you can be blessed. That, my friends, brings us a great relationship, one filled with love. And not just love in fact, but love which is experienced, filled with harmony, like Adam and Eve once lived in harmony with one another, filled with joy as two people love each other in that fashion, filled with goodness. Now listen, as I wind down, I want to bring a qualifier uh, to what I'm saying here today. I want to reference verse 24 again, which says, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. And note the words, in everything. In everything. Are there limits to submission? Well, I want to suggest to you that when you understand the text the way it's intended to be uh, understood, there are no limits to how we are to submit to one another. In everything we are to submit. That's a challenge. That's a big, that's a big uh, conclusion to those verses. Those are two very significant words. But I want to say this at the same time. There are limits when we under, sub, understand this verse and we understand submission in a non-biblical way. When we understand it as something like sub, uh, be, be a woman being... Um, subjected to a man's rule and authority and power against her will. For generations, this verse has been used to justify the abuse of women. Submit to your husband, people have said, regardless what he is doing to you. And women have been harmed and mistreated. Their husbands have dominated their lives in a way that's been incredibly destructive for them. Think, and they submit to that thinking that's what this verse means. Well, I hope you understand after this uh, service today and the one we had last week that such relationships, such behavior has absolutely nothing to do with Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to me. Sub uh, submission is never forced. It is always lovingly given. And I want you to think about this. God never wants his daughters harmed, ever. And it is not his will for them to, can I put it this way, accept abuse from a husband. So I encourage you not to do the same. And not to misunderstand and apply this verse in a way that is never intended to be applied. But listen, mutual submission some might stand back and say, Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. I'm here today to suggest, no, he's not kidding. As he inspires the, the, the writing of these words through the Apostle Paul, he wasn't kidding, and he's not kidding today. He's saying to us, if you want life, if you want a fantastic marriage, if you want to know, really know what love is in your relationship, do this. Submit to one another out of reverence for me, Jesus would say. Learn how to sacrifice your interests and your desires. Learn how to give up what you want so that you might love your husband, that he might get what he desires and, and, and that be your priority, your heart's desire and husband's again. Do the same thing for your wife. Love her. Care for her. Prioritize her and her interests, her needs and her desires. And in the end, 
you'll be loving one another in the way that Jesus calls us to love. I want to finish by reading um, this from the same chapter, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 5 of Ephesians 1 and 2. Hear these words. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, that's the beginning of the chapter. That, that's the thesis statement. That's, that's, that's the, the point that, 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 that is the theme of what we're studying. It's literally us learning how to be like Jesus. That's your calling, my friend. It's my calling. It's not always easy. But by the strength and the power of, of God's Spirit at work within us, as we grow, as we mature, as, as we learn to be transformed in the image of Jesus, we can become like Him. And we can live as He lived in His relationships and, and love as He loved. We're going to listen to a song now, and uh, I just want to finish by saying, will you consider seriously embracing the way of Jesus? Will you seriously consider embracing the idea of loving as he loved? Good morning, friends. I'm Brett Andrews with Youth for Christ Canada, where I work as the Director of People Development. And I want to thank you for your support and your prayers over the last uh, number of years, and especially over these last eight weeks, which have been incredibly challenging for many of us. As you know, my wife Joanne is a uh, public health manager and her and her team have been working tirelessly to try and provide correct information to the public and it's been changing rapidly and uh, her team has had to redeploy and it's been very stressful for a lot of them. So Joanne, on her, even on her days off, is putting in many hours of work and uh, she's tired so she's asked that you would pray for her, that she would have energy and that she'd have wisdom um, to know how to best work in this uh, environment. And for my work, uh, as you can imagine, a lot has changed. This is my busiest season of the year where we provide our Summer Institute, which is an eight-day intensive training time, our National Ministry Conference, and many other things. So we've had to change quickly um, to provide virtual training, and our team also looks after some spiritual direction for people across uh, Canada. We have 800 staff with YFC, so we provide some spiritual direction, mentoring and coaching uh, in addition to training. So uh, it's, a, it's a busy time, and we've had to shift very quickly to learn how to do things virtually, and we've become very good friends, as many of you have, with Zoom. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were wondering how to boost morale among our staff, and so we had 10 people who were going to attend an event in Nashville called the Q Conference, which is about helping people to explore uh, how their faith works in today's culture and today's world, and how that shapes the church at large. And so we had 10 people who were attending, and one of the great upside benefits of this uh, time where everybody's at home is that we promoted it to staff across Canada and to some of our international staff in YFC, and we had 160 people take part in that event uh, over the course of two days. So they listened to 40 talks that were nine minutes each, 
and then we interacted in real time over Zoom, and we had a feedback forum talking about what are the major implications that came out of that. So uh, it was a tremendous blessing. We had people from Nicaragua and Ireland and all across Canada, Australia, um, Brazil and Colombia. So it was amazing. In a couple weeks, we will be providing our summer institute, but we'll having to be do it. We'll have to be doing it virtually, and uh, so we'll be teaching things like discipleship. Um, resilient spirituality, critical youth issues, um, mental health 101, um, leadership, all those things virtually. So that's going to be a huge challenge and I hope that you'll pray for us. Uh, it's an important time, but it's unique because we can't do the normal relational building, relationship building that we do. So um, please pray for us. I want to thank you too for your financial support. It's very meaningful and some of our staff are really being challenged with that now. And the ministry that they provide, I want to encourage, is phenomenal and very needed in this time as we work with at-risk kids across the country who are not in good home situations. Um, so we really need your prayers and financial support. So please be with us. Please stand with us through this time and thank you for your ongoing love and support. It is greatly appreciated. Blessings on you. Let's pray. Lord, it's an amazing thing that your love has found us. Uh, that we are the recipients of divine love. Love that comes into our lives uh, from the very person of God. And a love which is steeped in sacrifice, giving for our sake. God, we just worship and praise you today for your love. We thank you for it. We celebrate it, God, and that somehow we are the recipients of it. And Lord, as we have received it, we recognize today from this text that we are called to learn to give it to learn to become like Jesus, to become imitators of you in the love that we have in our relationships, in marriage and in other circumstances also. So God, our prayer today is that you will teach us to love like Jesus. That you will show us how, that you by your Spirit will enable us to love. For Lord, on our own, we can't accomplish this. But Lord, with you, it's possible that your love, having filled our lives, might spill out into our other relationships. That we, having seen and experienced the love of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, might know what it is to sacrifice for others, especially those close to us, those whom we love. So God, I pray for wives today, as they have heard the challenge to submit to their husbands out of reverence for you, Lord, I pray that they will embrace your way, not with a reluctant spirit, but Lord, with a, a deep desire to love their husbands. Father, I pray for husbands again, that they would know what it means to love in that way, to sacrifice, to give up what they want. Again, not because they have to, but because they love their wives as much as they do. Lord, I want to pray right now for couples who are struggling for 
couples who are in that place of intensity because they're together a lot and, and maybe finding themselves unable to make their way through conflicts and challenges and difficulties. And I pray uh, that you will teach them to apply these things in their relationships and that you will allow them to move forward for things to get better. I pray you'll give them hope if there is no hope. And I pray that as you move by your spirit in the lives of a lot of people who are listening to this today, that real change would come first in the hearts of the people who are listening and then in the relationships because hearts have changed. So God, in, as in all things, we rely on you. We recognize our inability as we recognize your ability. And we pray, God, that you would move by your spirit in us, that we might become more like Jesus and that we might love like him. So Lord, I pray that you'll bless the marriages of everyone who's listening today and that you will transform them by the power of your word, by the work of your spirit. Let people have the wisdom and the courage to embrace these things and to live them out. So God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, all those who are listening and, and for this opportunity to gather in this way uh, and still be connected to one another and be the church of Christ. Thank you that you have spoken and that your word is not only true, but it's powerful and it's life-changing. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you and uh, ask that your will would be done in our lives. Your will, Lord, not ours. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.